But when I'm talking about this plan, I'm talking about making a plan to get the community's support. You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart, and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Welcome back to another episode of the Small Minded Podcast. I'm your host, Molly, and if you guys have been here for any length of time, you know that we love small towns, small businesses, and the stories of their success and the big things that they can accomplish even in communities of 500, or maybe your small town is 8,000. Small town is relative around here. But regardless, there's a uniting factor among these stories of people who've gone on to do really awesome things. And as my friend Melissa Nelson says, and this was an episode we did way back in the fall of 2021, but Melissa really believes that if we want really cool things in our small towns, We have to be willing to do them. So this episode is going to be about breaking down and finding those common threads of individuals and communities who've been able to accomplish huge things or really cool things. And what I identify as those three common factors that all of those projects and people have that have allowed them to go forward with these huge ideas and actually get them done. Okay, so a few weeks ago, I was approached by someone, aka my brother, and he is a project manager at a construction company in Waterloo, Iowa. And he and his team had been working on this really amazing childcare project uh, called TLC, the Learning Center in Charles City, Iowa. And this director at the childcare center saw a need in her community for something better for the kids. Their facility was 20 years old, so it wasn't like terribly old, but it was in need of some updates, and they were quickly running out of space. And if anybody out there listening is familiar with childcare and regulations in that industry, you know that it's not just as simple as, well, we can just put more kids in this classroom to accommodate wait lists. Absolutely not. Um, there's a lot of things that have to go into planning and providing when you're in a childcare facility setting. And so this community, they saw the need. Pam herself was active in trying to find an answer to that need, along with others, as we'll hear in future episodes. But then they came up with this idea to repurpose and reuse an older building in their community that used to serve as a school. And then they began to think creatively and bring the right people into the project to get this done. Now, When Will, my brother, was telling me about this, he was like, is there something here? Maybe we should just like do an interview with the people on this team and talk about what this has been able to do for this small town. And what it turned into was actually a series of episodes that you're going to hear over the next few weeks. Because not only was Pam's story very interesting about how she had this idea and what it takes as a child care director, and then we go off of just talking about the project itself. 
but also talking about how the pandemic affected childcare and the people that she's able to work with on her staff. And then we identified the architect, Dan Levi, who was a key player, who was able to bring in more insights. He has a lengthy history of working with childcare facilities to make sure that they are in, um, in compliance and know some of the things that maybe even the director wasn't thinking about when she was thinking about tackling this facility upgrade. And then we will end the series with an episode with my brother, Will, who talks about the construction angle and the challenges and successes that they've been able to see in this project. And when I thought about like, okay, thinking about just like that idea that Will gave me and then thinking about, okay, there's a lot of interesting stories here. I knew that there were so many of you out there too who have ideas like these. You have these buildings in your communities that you see are dilapidated. They're falling apart. When you walk by them, you're like, gosh, somebody should really do something about that. And maybe people have tried. Maybe there have been roundtables. Maybe there have been conversations like asides after church. Maybe there have been initiatives led by people in the community or in the city. But I'm willing to bet that there are a lot of you listening who have big ideas like these. Maybe they involve a building. Maybe they involve starting a new business. But whatever it is, you have this thought. It's just a little seed right now in your brain. And you're thinking, I wonder if this could be successful. Well, my friend, this is your blueprint for getting it to the finish line. First off, if you have an idea for something really, really cool, I need you to cast that vision. The vision of what could be is the most important thing in order to bring the rest of this project or this idea to fruition. When you cast your vision, I want you to think globally. So a lot of times we can think about what we hope to happen and what we dream to happen. And then we, after thinking about it, we're like, maybe I should pare that back a little bit. Maybe that's a little too ambitious. Maybe that's not quite within my grasp. Maybe that's not within my budget. There's no way I'd ever be able to fundraise that amount of money or garner that much capital. But I challenge you that in this vision casting phase, you don't limit yourself. In a couple episodes prior to this one, we talked to my friend Callie Fitzgerald, and she relates her process of thinking about creating a center, a physical space where kids could come together and creatively express themselves. And one of the lines from that episode that really stuck by me was when Callie was talking about a journaling experience while she was in this very phase. She was feeling conflicted. She was feeling all lit up. And so she got her journal out and she just wanted to write. And she said in the interview that she had spent so much time limiting her dreams by our modern definitions of success, our modern definitions of what's possible, that it wasn't until she sat down with her journal and just let all of her ideas flood the page. And then that very same day, her husband came home and was like, you know, I found this building and I think it could be what you're looking for. And she said it ticked every box that she had put in her journal entry that day, which is wild. And it's also a little bit woo-woo. But honestly, when you're in this phase of casting your vision, do not limit yourself. Think big. There's always going to be times down the road where you have to fit into schedule or fit into budget, but this vision phase is not it. You want to have the best, biggest, most ambitious idea when you cast this vision because that's going to keep you excited. That's what's going to get people excited about this project and surround you with support. 
And that's what's going to keep you driving when the times get tough because they will get tough, my friend. But having that vision, that unifying force, that picture of what could be, that's what's going to get this project off the ground. And that's what's going to keep you steering in the right direction for the duration of how long this takes. So I'm going to relate this back to a project in our own community, which I, I didn't mean it this way, but it also is a childcare project. So back in, I think it was like 2013, 2014. Yeah, because my babies were little. Uh, our community had a child care issue as well. We had in-home care providers, which are so important in small towns. But we also had this child care facility that accommodated a lot of families. And for the first years of the center's existence, it was just retroactively fit into this old convent. So it was a building that was available at the time that this daycare center was created. They put the kids in there. They didn't have huge numbers. But then as time went on, the building was slowly eroding. It wasn't within codes. It was like, uh, it was actually quite terrible. And the director, similar to the story I told you earlier, she was the one that kind of started this vision and said, I dream that we can offer better here in Cascade for our kids. And here's what I could see us having if we could bring people together, fundraise, and build a new center. And her vision was things like having a multi-purpose room, having a space where community members could utilize it, not just the kids, um, having a a backyard playground that brought in natural elements. And her vision, and one of her big visions too, is making it feel like home and not just feel like uh, a medical center, you know, with like white walls and very clean. Like we wanted it to be clean, but her vision was like someplace that you walked in and you just felt like, oh, this is, this is homey. And so having that vision is what really starts the ball rolling. And in the case of this Cascade Child Care Center from the mid-2010s, that vision was huge because then we could keep tying back into, well, what do we see? We see the kids in this multipurpose space, that they aren't limited by square footage. We see that people feel happy and they feel excited when they walk into this new facility. We see daylight and then we could compare that and contrast it with the current center that the kids were in. We were like, okay, it's a long, narrow hallway. There is limited natural light. There's limited space. And so that vision is what kept us all saying, this is for the kids. This is what we're going to do. And the vision leads us into part two. The second key thing you need to do after you've dreamed up your vision, after you have really like put all of your wants and needs and ideas and put it on a piece of paper. And like, I mean, if you're a creative person, maybe you create a drawing, maybe you have other parts of it, but having the vision is part one. Part two is identifying the people who can help you with this project. And these are going to be a variety of people. And what I identified were leaders, doers, finish liners, and then your key partners. So first up, your leaders. The leader is the person who's going to keep this project going. The leader believes in the vision. They see the importance of this vision not just for the individuals that it's going to directly serve an impact, but for the impact of the whole community. That leader is going to motivate. That leader is going to get shit done. They're going to keep the ball rolling. They're not going to be afraid to call people out when things need to be addressed, when a project needs to keep rolling, when there's a question about materials. That leader is going to keep things moving. 
but you also need to have the doers. So we oftentimes, I feel, put a lot of emphasis on the people who are the leader, the people who are the face of a project, or they've been with it from the beginning. But there is also a need for people who come in at various stages of the project, and they just are really great at getting things finished. Now, myself, for example, I have recognized over the years that I'm a really good beginner. (laughs) I have ideas. I can bring energy. I can get people excited about stuff. And I'm not a very good details person. (laughs) And like in the case of this child care center, like I could get people amped. I made videos. I did the social media posts, but I could not go and do the phone calls for fundraising. Like that was something that really made my stomach flip flop. And so I was more comfortable being in that like upfront PR spot than I was in the like making those phone calls because to me that just felt very uncomfortable. But then there's people who have the opposite. They're like, I don't want to be in this leadership position, but I will work behind the scenes all day to get things done because that's where I feel comfortable and that's where I excel. And so you need to have people who can fill in those slots because if you have a group of only leaders, you're never going to get there. Because their leaders just want to see things. I don't say this in a mean way, but leaders, like they have ideas. They have ideas about how things should be. And if you only have leaders on a team, you're not going to get very far. If you only have people who want to do, but they can't keep people moving, they can't motivate the team, they can't keep the vision in the forefront, then you're going to get caught up in like the just mundane little details too. So you need to have a balance of people who can lead and people who can do. And then you also need a third group, which I'm calling the finish liners. Those people are the ones that are like, okay, when is this going to be done? Okay, but how do we get there? Okay. And this is different than the leader because the leader is thinking about like orienting the team, getting people behind the effort, moving towards the big goal. Those finish liners, I feel like, I've been in committees and in meetings where there are the people who are just like, okay, but how long is this going to take? All right, how are we really going to get there? Okay, what corners can we cut to do this faster, quicker, cheaper? And so like those people are important because they are the ones that will help you finish it rather than sometimes the idea person or the leader who's like, well, instead, maybe we could do this or we could add this on. Those finish liners are keeping you in check. And so I think it's important to have those people involved too. And then the last group of people you need to have on your team are your key partners. Who are those people that are in your community whose buy-in you know is really important to getting the whole community behind the project? Who are those key partners that you need to consult in order to see if this project is feasible or to get feedback on budget? So some key partners might be like your banker, an insurance agent, a construction manager or a contractor in the TLC project that I alluded to at the beginning of the episode, they identified some of their key players as Pam Ost, who is the director of the child care center, uh, the superintendent of their schools because they formed a key partnership to get this facility in particular. They identified Dan Levi, who was the architect and really helped identify what they would need to do in order to take this facility that was existing and turn it into a child care center for the future. And then they identified Will McAllister and Woodruff Construction as being a key partner to helping them get this project going and moving. 
So you probably have key partners too. And in our Cascade Childcare project from a few years back, we knew that we had to identify like benefactors and fundraisers for this project. And we had some cornerstone givers who really got the ball rolling on the donation part because we had vision. We had then put together a committee and we had key people in place. But a lot of the next level key people that we wanted on board said, you can come talk to me when you've got a little bit of money in the bank so I know that there's belief behind this project. And so some of those key people that we had to identify were who were going to be those cornerstone givers. And those people did come. And then once we had those cornerstone people acquired and we had their gifts in check, then we could go to other key players and really create momentum around the whole project. So vision is super important, but having key people on board who can get the project going, keep it going and finish, and then identifying key partners along the way whose advice or input you need, that is super critical to getting things done, particularly big things done in your small town. And I would also challenge you that these key players don't have to be in your physical small town. I know of a lot of big things that have happened in small communities that involve people who have networked from across the country, or they've gone on and utilized resources from like the next big town over in order to get the ball rolling or to complete some aspect of the process. I know that as small towners, we love to like have this bootstrap mentality and like we did it ourselves kind of thing. But I challenge you that sometimes it's really important to look outside and see how key partnerships from outside your community can help the project as a whole too. And as you'll hear in future episodes through this TLC project in particular, I know that sometimes also in small towns there can be this mentality of, well, so-and-so does that, so why wouldn't we just hire that person? I challenge you to say, like, yes, evaluate everybody and all your options, but I am a big advocate of doing it right the first time. And I will always lean towards, and maybe this is one of my fatal flaws too, but like, I will always lean towards paying for something and having it done to a certain degree that I deem to be like the degree I want this done, rather than saying, well, so-and-so does it, and they'll just do it for free, which I know we have to be aware of budget and all that stuff, but I just, I know that you can accomplish so much when you are like willing to work with people and pay them for their specialization, and you're going to get a product that reflects that. So I just. I challenge you across the board, and there are a lot of people out there who are very skilled and willing to volunteer their time, but I just want you to evaluate all of your options, I guess is what I'm trying to say. All right, step three, we've got the vision. We have step two, talk to the people. And this can take a long time to secure and acquire and get feedback from the people who are your key players. Three is put a plan together. And this plan needs to maybe take the shape that you're not thinking. Like obviously if you're doing a building project, you want to have a blueprint. You want to have a location. You want to go to the bank and get your loan secured. You want to talk to your insurance agent. You want to talk to your lawyer, do all that thing. But when I say put a plan together to accomplish something big in your small town, I mean those things that I just rattled off are implied, right? But when I'm talking about this plan, I'm talking about making a plan to get the community support. So There can be, in small towns sometimes, this attitude of when something new comes in or something big happens, 
maybe it's just in conversations that I've heard, but there's this air of, oh, that's really exciting. But we've tried something like that and it didn't work before. So why would it work now? (laughs) Or did you see what so-and-so is doing over there? I cannot believe. I'll be so interested to see if this works. And we want to minimize conversations like that as much as possible when we're trying to accomplish something big. Because we want this to be something that whatever it is, if we want to accomplish something huge, like massive, that feels like it's just so wild and crazy, but great, we want to have support for it. And that's going to require us to put a plan together for addressing how this project is going to benefit the community as a whole, get some excitement and bring the community in on your vision and what you see and you project and you forecast and market, 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 market that vision to the group as a whole. So I think, and you'll hear in these future episodes too, particularly our episode with Dan Levi in a couple of weeks, that like marketing is something that you don't often think about when you're thinking about like a personal building project. But There's just so much history and so much emotion tied into these small towns. People feel so much ownership, even if they don't physically own the thing, because they have memories tied into these streets, these buildings from growing up. And so when we go and we tackle this huge project, people are going to have feelings about that. And we want them to support this and see where we're going to take it. So, for example, in my hometown of Cascade, there were these two buildings in our downtown. And for years, a highway went through our downtown. So we had a bustling, busy Main Street sector. But eventually, as a lot of small towns can relate, our highway was taken in a bypass around the community. And so our Main Street didn't get as much through traffic. And as a result, a lot of the buildings that had been occupied for literally decades, if not 100 years, they began to kind of slowly become unoccupied, vacant storefronts. And while we did have some business owners who stuck through that and we had some business owners who continued to thrive, there were a lot of buildings that were beginning to look run down. And just a few years ago, I think it was like maybe 2019, a couple of buildings came up for sale on the corner of one of our main street blocks. And it was uh, for a long time a bar and a diner. and we heard that somebody from out of town had purchased these buildings and they were going to turn it into a tap room and a pizza place. And everybody was like, oh my gosh. People were whispering. They were all abuzz. And this isn't to take away from other business owners in town too, because we had, um, this was probably like the fourth, the fourth building that had done something like this, where it was like older, Somebody who was really invested and had vision came in and they revitalized it and brought new things to town. But this is just the one that came to me in this moment. So anyway, these old buildings, like they had been on Facebook because the realtor did a good job of like documenting what the inside looked like. And people had been there. Like, I mean, it was our corner tap. So, I mean, people had been inside there and like people had memories of parties and bands that they listened to. People had memories of working at the diner and um, cooking in that kitchen. And so hearing when somebody came from out of town and bought it and they had these plans, like some people were like, oh my gosh. And other people were excited and other people were questioning it. But regardless, pretty soon work started happening. And I don't know about your small towns, 
But as soon as something starts happening in a downtown building, like all of a sudden you'll start to notice that traffic that's typically 25 miles an hour slows down to 10 because people are like trying to see what's happening inside that building. And this was dramatic. Like everything was taken out of these buildings except for the sidewalls. So the whole facade in the front and the back was taken off and removed and you could see straight through the buildings in the upper level and the main level. And it was like, oh my gosh, the community was just like, what is happening? Uh, What's happening here? And then we started getting plans and hearing a little bit more about the project itself and what it was going to be. And the community got excited about it, right? And then we learned it was going to be a Happy Joe's. We're like, we had had a Happy Joe's here for years. And then there was a fire and Happy Joe's went away. And then we're like, Happy Joe's is coming back. People were so excited. But talk about getting community buy-in. That's the way to do it. So when you have a project that you want to see happen, you have these big ideas, you have the vision, you've identified the people who can help you, your next step is to bring in the whole community. And in something like a Main Street renovation, obviously the whole community is going to be involved because they're going to see every single step of it. But you can also include the community by sharing the details, by getting them excited, by intentionally leaking out information in your marketing to get them excited, to get them buying in, and then to get their ultimate support at the end of the project. Um, Another example of this would be our daycare project here in Cascade. Part of our marketing was to get people to go from saying, well, why would I be interested in this daycare project? I don't have kids anymore. I am a grandparent. Uh, I don't have kids. So why would I contribute to this? Um, Because we did hear conversations like that or like employers who maybe said like, I don't have kids involved at that age anymore. Well, what is my interest in this? So part of our marketing was really talking about how having childcare not only benefited the individuals who utilized the services on a day-to-day basis, but how it allowed employers to have dependable care for the employees' kids, for to provide an option for people to walk through the current facility because that did the most for helping people see the need of a new child care center than anything. So we had like pancake breakfasts where people would come in and then we'd do tours of the current facility. We had a series of videos where we would walk through and outline like the adorableness of the kids and like kind of contrast that to the current rundown facility that they were in. And then we like we did two of those videos. And then in the third video, we shared the vision. We cast the vision for the whole community. We used artist renderings of what the new facility would look like. Um, we showed the blueprints and we explained like what these bigger rooms would allow for as far as programming and community projects. And casting that vision really helped buy in and procure more donations and funds. And then in addition to that, by having this marketing campaign, getting some of those initial gifts secured, getting that community support that we needed, that also opened the door to grant projects and showing that we had momentum, that we had support of the people in our town. And then that allowed grants to start considering us for their gifts as well. Okay. So I'm hoping that this is helpful for you guys. Um, But again, throughout the remainder of the month of April in our episodes, they are going to be standalone episodes, but you can also consume them in almost a serial format as well. Because we're going to talk about this particular project of TLC in Charles City, Iowa, and talk about how they implemented this same 
thought process, even if it was like it wasn't necessarily a conscious thought pattern, but they had the vision, they got the people in place, and then they had a plan of bringing the community into it. And you'll hear that throughout Pam's episode, throughout Dan's episode, and then Will's episode at the end. And seeing how all of this together allows small towns to accomplish really big things that they might not otherwise feel like they can tackle. But with a common vision that the community supports and buys into, and having those people in place, the leaders, the doers, the finish liners, and the key partners, that really does allow big things to happen in your small communities. Let me know what you think of this process. Let me know if you've been able to accomplish something huge in your small town. And think about it in this aspect. Did you have vision, key partners, and community buy-in? Was there a different tactic or angle that you took? Is there something that I'm missing? I'd love to hear it. So go ahead and follow up with me at Small Minded Podcast on Instagram and Facebook or over at Molly Knuth Media. I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, I hope to see you take this information, apply it in your own small towns, and do big things. I'll be back next week, my friend. Hey there, thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast or at mollyknuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one. Take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well lived being small minded.